Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. We're in a series entitled The King's Coming, And throughout the weeks of Advent, we've been looking at a different theme or topic uh, regarding the coming of Jesus Christ in his birth at Christmas. We've talked about, first of all, um, hope that comes in him. We talked about uh, love. We looked at joy and we looked at peace. But today, as we look at this fifth theme of Advent, the theme of righteousness, we will see why all of the other themes are even possible Because of what takes place today. You know, at the Advent season, it's a season of celebration. That's the most uh, uh, obvious part of this time of year. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But Advent is also a season of anticipation or expectation. Because God fulfilled his promises throughout all the Old Testament in the birth of Jesus Christ, his son. Here's what we know, that the one promise that he is yet to fulfill, that he will fulfill because he's been faithful to all his others. And this is it. He has come and he will come again. And when we celebrate the coming of King Jesus, we are celebrating now what we see in part, but what we will know in full and perfect completion when he comes again to usher in eternity. And so because of that, it is not only a season of celebration and anticipation, but it is a season of exaltation. Jesus is the one who is worthy. He is the one who has brought all of these gifts to us of hope and love, of joy and peace, and today of righteousness. And so today we celebrate Jesus for his most potent of all gifts, the gift of God's righteousness. Jesus was born to save people from their sins. And when he came, he lived a life and died a death to bring righteousness to us. And that righteousness is the source of all of God's blessing upon your life. Today, I want you to see this, that Jesus bestows righteousness upon all who believe in him to be adopted as a child of God into his family. Friends, I've got a special treat for you today. And you're going to think you know what it is before you do know what it is. So just stay with me. All right. It's not all about me. I promise you that. I want us to consider Jesus' highest gift of righteousness today. And I want to offer to you three reasons that compels us to believe in Jesus for salvation. And my prayer for you today is that as you hear this, and as we see from the birth narrative how God brings his righteousness to us, I want you to understand that that invitation goes to you to repent of your sins, to believe in Jesus And to receive eternal salvation that he has given to us. And you know, I need to stop here for a moment because I totally forgot to do something. And I need to do it. If you are of the age of 12 or under, I need you to help me. I need you to stand up and wave and let me know you're here. Can you do that? Don't sit down yet. Keep waving. Keep waving. Don't drop those arms. Raise them high. Okay, you ready? Stop. Don't sit down. Just stop waving. Look at me. I'm glad you're in here. I miss you not being in here every week. 
But here's what I want to tell you. I'm thankful that you're in here today. All right? Thanks for being with me. Moms and dads, I am thankful they're here. You can sit down now. Now, if you're 13 or above, here's what I need you to do. Don't stand up and don't wave at me. Good. We have full participation this morning. All right. Now, let me move forward. I want to offer to you today three reasons that compel us to believe in Jesus and to receive this gift of righteousness that he has brought us from God. And for the first one, I want us to go to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 26 to 28. And I want you to listen to these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Friends, listen, the first reason I want to offer to you today is this, that in the gospel, the holy and righteous one comes to us in love to be righteousness for us. When you hear the words of the angel announcing to Mary who it is that will be born from her, you hear the promise of God. The pregnancy is not within Mary. The pregnancy is within the promise of God. For what Mary will give birth to in this baby will be the fulfillment of centuries of God's promise to his people and to all people who will believe in him. In the gospel, the holy and the righteous one comes to us in love to be righteousness for us. This baby was from God. This baby was God. You see, God conceived in his perfect mind this plan for salvation with no help from people, with no help from humanity. And, and God conceived it in a virgin by his spirit who was part of his creation, excluding the seed of man. God didn't even need the natural processes of procreation to bring about this birth. Rather, he strategically did an end run around it because of the purposes he would accomplish in it of bringing righteousness to us. God's plan of salvation, friends, is all his from first to last. He gives righteousness because he and he alone is the righteous one. And he gives righteousness because he is compassionate and loving to those who are unrighteous. The desire of God in coming is to share in a relationship with people who are far from him. He wants to make you righteous so that he can live in a relationship with you. You see, friends, righteousness is not ours. It is his. 
But when you believe and repent of your sins, he becomes your righteousness. And all who believe in Jesus receive his righteousness. Here's what God does in Jesus Christ through the gospel. He puts Jesus' righteousness on you so that you can stand before him. I saw a video not long ago of a courtroom proceeding and a judge who was faced with a man who had been before him a number of times for very similar, yeah, that's the right word, for very, thank you. Um, They're congratulating me for finding the word back there. He was before him for very similar charges. He knew he was guilty, but he went through the proceedings and he asked him, how do you plead? He said, judge, I plead guilty. And I can't remember exactly what the charges were, but whatever the charges were, this man was in a point in life where he was unable to hold employment and he couldn't afford to provide for his family. And so whether it was theft or whatever it was, I can't remember, but the judge felt compassion for him. Now this can't happen all the time or it would ruin our judicial system. But the judge, because he had seen this man on numerous occasions, felt pity for him. And so he slammed the gavel down, declared him guilty, and then sentenced him to the maximum fine. And, and, and in a moment, you almost were shocked by it on the video because you thought, wow, I thought he was going to go light on him. But he said, you owe $500 because you know this is wrong. And then immediately at the end of the proceedings, he stood up, he walked off the bench, took his robe off, handed it to the bailiff got out his own checkbook and paid the man's fine for him and said, consider this man's fine paid in full. And in that moment, the unbelievable and inconceivable took place for that man. You see, friends, that's but a shadow of what God has done for us, of who he is for us. He puts his righteousness on you so you can stand before him guilty and made innocent. But God not only puts his righteousness on you, he puts his righteousness in you. The Bible teaches that God imputes his righteousness to us. In other words, he puts it in us so that it makes different from what was and knew what forevermore shall be, who we are in that. You see, in this birth narrative, the Almighty One who overshadowed to conceive in the Virgin Mary, covers over your sin to impute his righteousness on you. That's what Romans mean when it says that Jesus is just and the justifier of those who believe. Jesus' righteousness is put on you and in you. It is his righteousness that is the new of you by faith. In him, the unrighteous are made right with God through Jesus. This, friends, is the glory of the gospel. And I offer it to you this morning as the first compelling reason why you should repent of your sin and trust in Jesus to receive his eternal life. The second reason I want to offer to you today, I want to go back to Luke in chapter 2. And I want to look at the first three verses of chapter 2. And I want to see about the setting and the days in which we are looking in the first century. Luke writes, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
I want to stop there for a moment. And here's the second reason I want to offer to you today for why you should believe and receive eternal life in Jesus. For in the gospel, here's what we learn. The world will never give salvation. But it also cannot thwart Jesus' power to save. To me, this is, this is a beautiful, beautiful truth that we see through the narrative of Jesus' birth. Luke 2 records, in those days. You know, one way that sin most often deceives us is to make us think in some way, shape, form, or manner we're not like those who came before us. But friends, I have news for us. Because of sin, humanity and people have always been the way they will always be. There's no difference in today's day than there was in those days. Where sin remains, it is all the same. And what occurred in those days is the same kind of thing that occurs today. And what Advent tells us today is that Jesus comes to us where we are, enslaved in our sin, helpless and hopeless to do anything about it without a Savior. But that's why he's come. Oh, sure, I'm not saying there's not some good in the world. Surely there is. And at least it used to be this way. I don't know if it still is as much as it used to feel like it was. But at this time of year, there seems to be a little more good in people, doesn't there? Unless, of course, you're driving. Unless, of course, you're in front of them in line or reaching for the same thing that they want to buy at the time they want to buy it. And then good goes out the window and real enters in. Yes, there is good in this world. Yes, there is some good in every person and in different measure and manner that, that is expressed at different times. Why is that? Because God created the world and he created people in the Imago Dei, in his image. So there is a measure of good in these things. But friends, there will never be enough good, even cumulatively, to address the issue in which we are trapped. Our good is insufficient, it's incomplete, and it is incompetent to save us from sin's condemnation and ultimate damnation. And so it tells us this, that in those days, there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Friends, I want you to know that long before the NSA was tracking your every click, rulers were still exercising their power in just and unjust ways. They sell them to it for just reasons. And then how quickly they flip for the unjust motives. But what does the world do? Verse 3 says, all went to be registered. You see, friends, culture's current sweeps us up to conform to the world's ways as it is cut like water in stone by the movement of the masses. People of all ages have done what we all still do today, our very best but at the end of the day, friends, we find this, that so often, every time, even our very best just isn't enough to satisfy God's demands and to meet even so much as our earthly desires. 
You know, there's a song that laments this reality. It wasn't written for this reality, but it does lament it. It was written by a guy by the name of Quincy Jones. And here's how it goes. I did my best, but I guess my best wasn't good enough. Because here we are back where we were before. Seems nothing ever changes. We're back to being strangers. Wondering if we ought to stay or head out on the door. Sing it with me. Just once. You know it, don't you? You do know it. Can we figure out what we keep doing wrong? Why we never last for very long. What are we doing wrong? Say it. Just once. Can we find a way to finally make it right? To make the magic last for more than just one night. If we could just get through it. I know we could get to it just once. The second verse is for Christians who find themselves defaulting back to legalism. I'll save you the singing of it. (laughs) But here's what it says. Listen to this lament. I gave my all. But I think my all may have been too much because Lord knows we're not getting anywhere. Seems we're always blowing whatever we've got going. And it seems at time with all we've got, we haven't got a prayer. Just once. Just once. Can we figure out what we keep doing wrong? Can we find a way to finally Make it right. Friends, the world fell in love with this song, still has. But let me tell you, at the end of this song, do you know what the song never offers to us? Still looking for that just once. That that one moment when it gets made right. It resonates with us at a far, far deeper level than just our human relationships. It resonates with us about the eternal reality of our souls, friends. Never got it figured out. Never got it right. Listen to me. The second reason that I I compel you to believe in Jesus today is this. Because the world will never bring what is necessary to save you. But I want you to see, and this is the power of Christmas It can do nothing to thwart God's power to save. Because in those days, when the world was just like today, and the government was doing what it does, with a little bit of good, and some we're suspect about whether it's really good or not, but doing what it does, God, on his throne, does what only he can do. The Bible tells us that that registration led to a decree that all firstborns would be killed. Why? Because Herod was threatened by a king who was born. 
But not even that scheme can overwhelm nor undermine the sovereignty of God's plan. Friends, listen to me. No matter how big your problem, no matter how bad your situation, Advent, Christmas reminds us that it is never greater than God's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save. And nothing lessens the blessing nor the glory of God's power in Jesus. The world holds no power to thwart or to lessen God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And in those days, when everything was breaking loose to prevent any kind of overthrow, God quietly came in a lowly manger unthreatened by the authorities who claim to be God themselves. That's what Caesar means. And he would bring about his plan as he determined. Friends, I want you to know today, there is nothing that can take place in this world that will thwart the plan of God and salvation for your life. When you repent of your sin and you say yes to Jesus, God's will by faith will be carried out in your life. And there is nothing the world can do about that. Do you hear that? Do you know that? What the world can never give, what the world can never offer or provide, though it will promise multiple times, countless over, it can do nothing to thwart God's work in your life to save. Because of that, I don't know why anyone would want to say no to Jesus. But whatever has stood in your way, my hope and prayer for you today is that you'll not let it stand in your way anymore. And you'll receive Jesus and the life that he gives. The third reason that I offer to you today is this. That in the gospel, God becomes fully present in Jesus to fulfill his every promise. Go back with me to Luke chapter 2 and let's pick up in verse 4. And let me just read a few more verses here. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. God fulfills his promise, not by long distance delivery, but through divine presence. God becomes a man to dwell, to be with us. And he does that because he loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. He transcends every barrier to be with us that he might save us. He does the unimaginable and the inconceivable. He brings eternal glory to the inglorious. He brings righteousness for the unrighteous. He, the Holy One, brings holiness to the wicked and to the sin-stained. And he makes a way for us to become righteous in him. Jesus came not just to give us righteousness, friends, but to be righteousness for us. And hear me, friends, this is the true miracle of Christmas. This is the true miracle of salvation that in Jesus, because he puts it on us and he puts it in us, we 
are made righteous. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And Christmas is the story of the king who stepped down from the throne and gave his own life so that the people who could never be part of the kingdom can come into the kingdom and, yea, even more, become part of the royal family. Friends, I propose to you today that the power of God's righteousness is not only to give to you something you could never get on your own or anywhere in the world, but it is to make you what God has for you, to be one of his own children of God. The Bible tells us that this is called adoption. God, making you righteous, adopts you as his own and brings you into his family. This is the treat that I have for you today. I told you it wouldn't be the first one. That's more like a trick. Today, I want to introduce to you Chad and Skylar Watson. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear their testimony of adoption. If you've been around LifePoint for any time, you know that we are not uh, new to the world of adoption. The Lord has blessed our church with almost two dozen children through the process of adoption in many different ways. And Chad and Skyler recently um, came to the point where they discerned that God was leading them to adopt. And I want you to hear their testimony. And here's why I want you to hear it. Because I want you to know that every person who is a child of God becomes a child of God because God adopts them as his own. Adopts them as his own. Chad and Skylar, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Would you just give a brief introduction and then let's get to the meat of it. Yeah. Um, so we are, um, I'm Skylar, this is my husband Chad. Um, our son Archie is in here somewhere with my parents. Um, we have been at LifePoint for almost three years. Um, we've been married for almost 10 years. Um, <laughs> I know, it's a very long it's time. Hard, we I are know. very it's old. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so God has really done a lot in our lives the last 10 years. I'll let Chad talk more about that. Tell us how y'all came, you know, what was involved in kind of leading up to and how you came to this decision to adopt. It's a long kind of winding road. Uh, so we'll keep it somewhat high level. But um, from the very beginning, Skylar and I have always desired to have a large family. Um, Skylar may be a little larger than I did originally, but we've kind of... I've come to terms with it at this point. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. And uh, adoption has always been a part of the plan from the very beginning. Um, for Skylar especially, it's just been part of her life. Um, she was around, and, and at the time I was around a lot of families who were in the middle of adoption and uh, had already adopted, and Skylar's dad, in fact, is adopted. So um, for Skylar especially, it's just been a normal part of life. And so um, for us... Uh, it wasn't really a matter of if we would adopt, it was just a matter of when we would adopt. And so our plan from the beginning was we'll have a few um, biological children and then somewhere in the mix we'd adopt once or twice and maybe have some more biological children or whatever. And so um, we decided early on after we got married, let's just go ahead and get this thing started. So we, uh, we started trying to have kids and uh, a few months went by and that didn't prove to be successful and then... Um, uh, at the time, we had a lot of families that were around us, a lot of moms around our age who were getting pregnant. I think at one time we had counted 15, 17 
that were getting pregnant all while we just couldn't do it and we had no idea why everything seemed like it should just be a fairly simple thing. Um, and so uh, after a few years went by, at this point it had been three years, um, out of the blue, uh, Skylar, we found out, was pregnant. And so we had a lot of families around us who'd been praying for us, and they were very integrated in the process and, uh, and all this. So we told them, and then very quickly word kind of spread to all of our community around us. And everybody pretty much knew, and we had people from who knows where congratulating us and saying they were so excited for us. And, of course, we were just stoked. And then uh, literally a few days later, uh, it, we, it confirmed that we had already miscarried. Um, and so, as you could maybe imagine, we were just completely broken, absolutely devastated. You know, it had been three years of infertility, and then the Lord gave us this glimmer of hope, and then just like that, took it away, and uh, we grieved really heavily. And I remember um, the day that we found out um, that Skylar had miscarried, that it was confirmed. Uh, I, was, I was a worship pastor at a time, um, at that time, at a church in Springfield. And that night, I had to go back to the church and uh, lead some rehearsals and lead our team in these songs that talk about God's goodness and how we believe that he is good. And we celebrate his goodness and his love for us. And I remember... Uh, feeling like the Lord asked me a question, and he asked me, Chad, do you believe that I'm good? Hmm. And if I would have answered immediately in that point, I would have probably said, no, God, how, how can I believe that you are good? And uh, graciously, uh, he brought me to a place to be able to understand that, yes, he is good all of the time, and his purposes are his purposes, and he does things for a reason, no matter how dark they may seem. Um, and no matter how we may feel, we know and believe that he is good. So at that point, it was kind of a turning point for us, not necessarily circumstantially, but um, in our hearts and our minds and how we viewed this process. Because we were rooted at this point in our identity in Christ, that we were adopted as his own, that we belong to him. And no matter what it is that's going on in our lives, circumstantially, um, there's nothing that can thwart that. And so no matter what happens, we will cling to him. We will believe that he is good. And um, whether we have kids or not, we have Jesus, and that's enough. So um, a couple years uh, went by at this point, and uh, I took a job at a church in Phoenix, Arizona. We packed up everything and moved out there. And kind of part of our thought was like, man, this must be the thing that God was waiting for us to do, that we would, we'd be able to just pack everything up and move across the country. And this might be the time where everything just magically happens, which is a silly thought looking back on it, but that's kind of where we were at the time. And so when we moved out there, it became pretty clear that things at the church were not good and it was not a good situation. And so uh, four months later, I resigned and we moved back to Springfield. And uh, we had just sold our house like two weeks before that. And so we were, it was just a, a time of absolute turmoil and we were hurt and we went through a few months of um, grieving and uh, it was like the Lord was peeling back the layers of our identity that we had kind of wrapped up around ourselves. I mean, Skylar from the very beginning, all her desire was, was to be a, a, a wife and a mother. 
And at that point, uh, it, hasn't, it hadn't fully been realized yet. And uh, I had kind of wrapped up my identity and in ministry and in my job. And um, at that point, God moved me from being in ministry to, uh, you know, a secular job. And there was just a lot of uh, identity work that God was doing in our hearts. And again, he brought us to the place to where our identity is fully rooted in Christ and our adoption um, in him. So moving forward after this time, God graciously brought us through that. Uh, and we decided now is that when time to adopt. Mm. And so we kind of switched our attention and we moved directly into going full steam ahead in, um, in the adoption process. So we got it started, filled out some paperwork, um, paid a little bit of money. And then uh, two weeks later, found out that Skylar was pregnant. So we were a statistic in many people's minds. Want to talk about that a little bit? Um, so we were very excited, um, very surprised. I was very scared. Um, but the Lord really just held us through the whole process. And um, nine months later, Archie was born. Um, and he's great and very full of energy, very full of life. Um, and we are so, so thankful that God gave him to us and that he gave him to us when he did. Um, and so then after I delivered Archie, we were told by a couple of different doctors, you know, now that you've done this once, it's probably going to be a lot easier for you guys to have more kids. Um, so don't be that worried about it. So we spent a year being not that worried about it. And then we spent two years seeing some doctors and running some tests and finding out what was going on. Um, and so Archie's now three, and really God has used like the, the last three years of his life just to show us and to confirm to us that he's a total miracle, um, that it's totally miraculous that the Lord allowed me to conceive him, um, but that that is likely not something that he's going to do again. Um, and so that was hard, but also because we had been through, you know, at this point, nine years of not really knowing anything, it's really comforting to just have an answer so that we can move on. Um, and so once we found all of that out, um, I, re I was really excited because finally now we can move on. We can put our full attention on adoption. We can continue building our family. We can give Archie siblings. Um, and so we started the process of looking into different kinds of adoption and you know we've watched this play out in the lives of our friends and families but now we're really going to do it for real this time and so we started looking into all of the different options that were in front of us and we just weren't feeling settled about any of it which was confusing because we've always been open to adoption and we've always known that this was something that the Lord had called us to and so we were really confused that he wasn't making it really plain to us what we should do um and then one morning I was at home and I came across a story of this family who had adopted their daughter when she was still an embryo. Um, and that was something that had been suggested to us by a couple of different doctors pursuing an embryo adoption. And I especially just kind of wrote it off, like didn't even Google it. I'm not interested in that, it's not for us. Um, and so as I sat and started reading this family's story, um, I was really convicted about how, um, just how callous I had been. Um, and so we started doing research. Um, we learned that there are an estimated 
million embryos that are frozen in the United States, and a conservative estimate is that 50% of them will be discarded. Um, and so we know that these are people, and they're at a different stage of development than a newborn that we would adopt or than a toddler that we would adopt. Um, but they are people, and they're made in God's image. Um, and there's a huge need for families who are willing to step into the gap for them and to, and to carry these embryos um, so that they can be delivered. And so we started um, walking down that road and praying the whole time that if this is not what we were supposed to do, that the Lord would just stop it, that he would make us stop. Um, and instead, it's just snowballed. And so over the course of the last three months, um, he's provided everything that we needed financially to complete this adoption. Um, we shared our story on Facebook in October. And two days later, we were contacted by a family. Um, we had intended to go through an agency. We'd applied, started filling out paperwork for this agency. Um, and then just out of the blue, we got a phone call from a couple who are friends of friends. We did not know them. They did not know us. Um, and they said, we came across your story. Um, we've read about it. We've been praying for you. And um, we were wondering if you would adopt our embryos. Um, they had, I did not cry in the first service. <laughs> um, they had gone through in vitro. Um, they had these five embryos, and now they'd been told that it was not safe for her to carry them. And so they had gone into this thinking that they would eventually give birth to all of these children, and now they were being told that they would not be able to do that. And so um, they asked us if we would be willing to give these embryos a chance at life, and we were overjoyed to say that, yes, we, we definitely would. So that's where we're at. Now we just wait. Um, we've started the process of appointments and um, and things that will lead to an eventual, it's called a transfer. Um, but we're praying that someday you'll, you all will know all five of these embryos as, as grown Watsons. Well, I know, um, I know the process is not easy. And every process has its unique challenges and barriers. Uh, would you just share a couple of yours? Ways that we can pray for you for sure, but ways that we can kind of stand in the gap for y'all as you go through this. Thanks. Um, well, as Skylar mentioned, we uh, raised uh, funds for the adoption, and praise the Lord, we've, we've raised everything we initially uh, had estimated we would need, um, and many of you have been a part of that, so we're, we're so grateful for your generosity in, in helping us in this. Um, but um, like we said, originally we were going through an agency and they kind of laid out this is an estimate of how much it's going to cost and now this is a completely diverging direction we're heading and we've, we've already kind of estimated what the cost would be and there may be a little more than we originally estimated but, um, you know, so at, at this point it's just all kind of up in the air. We're not totally sure what it's going to end up being like as far as money. So, I mean, that cost, you know, you could be praying for the Lord's provision in that. Um, and then the, the, the biggest thing for us is just kind of the uncertainty because we had our original uh, appointment down in Dallas a couple of weeks ago and they gave us like all the probabilities and percentages of, of that these uh, embryos would eventually, um, you know, be born and be children and have a long full life and um, it's just not certain. So uh, we are, like Skylar said, we're praying that all five of these would turn into little Watsons running around uh, LifePoint. And so you could, you could be praying um, 
for us for that as well. Wow, thanks. Would you thank them for sharing this morning? Don't go anywhere. So what I want you to walk away with today is understanding this, that the greatest joy of Christmas and all of the other themes and blessings of God's gift come to us because Jesus makes us righteous. He gives his righteousness to us so that we can be adopted and become a child of God. And friends, I I conclude this morning just very simply in this way. The most compelling reason for you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus is simply this. Not that God just wants to give you something to improve your life as you go on your way. But God wants to bring you into his family. He wants to do for you what the world can never do for you, what you can never do for you. But even more than that, to give to you something that makes you his own. And that's the invitation today. You know, if we heard from God this morning in the sense of his testimony about the adoption of his children, well, we have. That's what Luke 1 and 2 is all about. It's God's adoption process. It's the way that he has come to us and done all that was unknown to us, but fully known to him so that we could be brought into his family. Friend, would you want to become a child of God this morning, a son, a daughter of the king? Because when God saves you, he doesn't just bring you into the kingdom. He brings you into the royal house and makes you one of the royal family. If today, for the first time, you want to repent of your sin and receive eternal life in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you at the end of our service to come to the front. I'll be here to welcome you and to celebrate that with you. I want to invite you to become a Christian today and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.